of all the things that we learned was the fact that people are on a constant search to improve themselves to learn. New learning is intoxicating. This is From Paint to Purpose, a podcast by FCP Services, where we believe people drive growth, exploring topics related to company culture, leadership, and construction industry insights. Now your host, John Barsness. Oftentimes when we talk to people, especially, well, you know, whether it's in sports or politics or even, you know, in business, whatever that might be, often people talk about the destination. They're, they're trying to arrive someplace and really high performance in any realm is about what you just described. We are always going to be chasing after something. And the idea that we, an illusion sometimes is we arrive somewhere and once we arrive, then we're good and we don't have to do anything else. Uh, and I think that becomes the, the false narrative that we, we live into then because the world is always talking about attainment of something. And really what we're talking about and what you're describing is the journey. And it's a lifelong journey. And so if you have these moments where, as you describe it, you're putting people on a 30-day mi- or a 90-day mission, that's a never-ending opportunity. And yet you can find success through that because you're achieving things in that increment, whether it's 90 days or a year or whatever that might be for people. But I think that is one of the areas that I think is is so challenging for people is because we're hearing this message that says, once you arrive, you're good. And then we're, we then we realize we arrive and we're still not good. We're still not happy. We're not satisfied, whatever it might be. Instead of actually chasing the journey of self-discovery and just always finding ways to improve ourselves. And I think what you talked about in, in another one of your books was this idea of rituals as part of change management. And so why are rituals so important in this concept of the journey and, and uh, uh, of self-discovery and growth through these, uh, uh, through change? Uh, well, a couple of great points. Um, so the first one is that what we've learned in our living laboratory is probably the most addictive and the most compelling, the most satisfying of all the things that we learned was the fact that people are on a constant search to improve themselves, to learn. New learning is intoxicating. Even if you're a golfer um, and you're maybe you're a recreational golfer, I mean, what, what hooks you is not your score. What hooks you, if you feel that you're never going to get better and you've arrived, it's over. Golf has no appeal whatsoever. You have to find a way to continue to improve some aspect. You've got to continue to get better and grow, no matter where you are on the continuum of excellence. And once you have achieved something, it's like it's a dead end, and all of a sudden, the whole thing, and you think, well, this is all there is. This is what I've been chasing my whole life. What you're chasing is constant improvement, learning, understanding, um, a sense of perspective on, you know, maybe golf has helped you kind of become more disciplined and learned a lot of these assets, performance assets, such as um, focus and determination and resetting and emotional control and a lot and you just feel you're getting better there as well as not just in golf but golf is helping to become a better human being 
And if that's the case, you'll probably play golf for as long as you possibly can. And that's just a metaphor for everything else in life. So we are addicted to when we no longer feel we can get better at anything. You know, life is pretty much done. Life is exciting because we want to keep pushing the envelope something in some way. You may not be able to run a three-minute uh, three marathon, but maybe at your age of, let's say, 55 or 60, you can still run um, a 3.30 marathon. And that's really, you know, you're pushing the envelope of your capability and you're trying to see what your limits are, always trying to get better wherever you are in, in whatever arena you're, you found yourself in. So, and the other thing is rituals, we are basically creatures of habit. And we can't possibly run our lives by, you know, constantly thinking about everything and, and making a conscious effort to make everything work. Most of it's about 90% of our life or more is under the control of habit. And if you just think about all day long, all you're doing is you're completing a series of habits. And if you don't have something in your habit hierarchy that takes you to a certain place, it's probably not going to get there. So you have to break, you have to add a new habit, a new ritual, we call them. It's called the unbearable automaticity of being, that human beings, we are almost like robots. We do what we have re repeatedly done. And even character is what we repeatedly do. We have to habituate being kind to people, being honest, having integrity. And that means doing it over and over until it becomes kind of who you are. And you don't even have to think about it. It's like, well, no, this is the way I am. I learned how to do this, and now I'm moving on to the next one. And every day you're trying to learn new habits, new rituals that support who you want to be in life. And it takes 30 to 60, sometimes 90 days of repetition. It's called you're myelinating these neural pathways, and all of a sudden they become like six-lane six highways. You don't have to think about it anymore. You just just happens. And the more you habituate the really great things about you that you're proud of, you know, the better you feel about yourself. And life isn't so hard. You're not fighting yourself all the time. And now you're just kind of automatically showing up, fully engaged with your family. You have, um, you know, the way you treat them, it's not phony. This is kind of now who you are. And they see a major transformation. It's not how much time you spend with them. It's the energy and engagement you bring to the time you have. And they sense it. And it's because you've been working on this. So every area of life can be, this is why you see with, Athletes, they habituate everything, whether it's free throw shooting or whether it's pregame preparation, whether it's the body doesn't like new things. So when you're going to a new arena, your body is a little un unnerved there. It's a little threatening. 
But the more you habituate something and you say, oh, I've been here many times, it's no deal, it's no big deal, and you follow your routines, you follow your training, this is what happens in, in uh, Special Forces, which we had, we spent a fair amount of time working with these military teams. And their training, they try to make their training as real or more real than anything they're actually going to face. And they develop all the rituals and they will tell you, it's not what you think in the moment and creatively come up with. It occasionally happens, but you typically are the result of your training. And if your training has prepared you for this unbelievably hostile, terribly scary environment, you go right through it. You don't even feel anything because this is now part of who you are and you're accustomed to it. So a big part of preparing people for competition is building rituals that actually make it almost automatic and freeze their creative thinking and conscious thinking for something that might occur in the moment that they have to come up with something. So I want to hit on a, on a couple of things as we... Uh, uh really two main topics, uh, the rest of the discussion. One is what you describe. Uh, I'd like for you to describe for the, the listeners what you mean by recovery being a catalyst for repair. So we built um, the whole model, uh, the human performance model around energy. And um, um, we believe that is, you know, it's the basis of all science, of chemistry and physics. And, you know, I believe the energy of the human body is not unlike the energy in the universe. Um, whether you're a quantum physicist or not, um, all energy in the universe has quantity and quality, focus and intensity. And so does human energy. And, um, our life begins with the first pulse of energy and we are basically oscillatory beings in an oscillatory universe. Everything is a waveform. We are nothing but waveforms. And the wave is from energy expenditure to energy renewal and recovery. And so every pulse of life, the pulse of your heart, every system of the body is oscillating at some level. All your neurons in your brain, all the cellular dynamics that are occurring in the 30 trillion cells in your body, even all the way down to the mitochondria in the cells, the, uh, the, produ the production of glucose and oxygen and the Krebs cycle. All of these things are oscillatory. You expend a resource and then you have to renew it. And that creates the pulse of life. And But there are arrhythmias. If you spend more than you take in, you get an arrhythmia. And ultimately, if you don't pay attention to it, it will lead to a flat line. A flat line is death. All living creatures have some kind of waveform. And the, the, the fact that there is no life is communicated by the fact there is no energy expenditure. There's no, there's no expenditure or renewal. So a big part of being, uh, if you want to have a big life, you've got to have a lot in reserve. And that, you know, we are kind of, as a species, we are, there's almost a bias towards 
really some kind of conservation of energy because our ancestors had to conserve energy to survive when food and shelter and and water and so forth were scarce. But today we have all of the means we can supply plenty of glucose and good nutrition and we have plenty to take care of those and but we still have this tendency not to want to we call it lazy but we've learned that people that have big lives you got to be a big spender but if you just spend and go 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 it's called overtraining in sport you have to give complete and total um, attention to both sides of the waveform the expenditure side and then you have to shut it down and Expending energy causes, um, you know, um, energy storage depots and so forth to deplete, may even cause some minor uh, issues uh, that need to be resolved in terms of healing. And healing and recovery and restoration occurs during rest and, and during this recovery cycle. Now, there are things called active rest where you actually are still moving, but it is like massage and maybe a walk after you've been sitting for a long time is another form of restoration and allowing the whole system, uh, even the migration of immune cells throughout the system works best in movement. The system was designed to move. We are mostly muscle and we need to move, but we also need to have stillness sleep, um, naps for some cultures are critical. Um, and uh, restoration in terms of healthy input of food, um, your diet is a critical part of the restoration formula. Hydration, most we're mostly water. Hydration is a massive, massively important element in stabilizing what is called this homeostatic balance. This balance between the sympathetic system, which is actually mobilizing the body, and the parasympathetic system, which is bringing back the balance, recovery, and, um, and, and, um, and healing, and so forth. So all life is a balance, and we're trying to build a positive valence on that balance as much as possible. So we have this sense of optimism and hope in life, but if you push the envelope too hard, and you don't honor restoration recovery, you lose your motivation, you lose your passion. And it's actually um, a life preserving um, kind of instinct in the body, because if you keep pushing, you're going to flatline, you know, you may end up taking your own life, pushing yourself outside to the point where the body can no longer take care of itself. So, um, and that oscillation needs to occur physically, emotionally, mentally, and even spiritually. And we found the most important part of the formula is the character dimension, which occurs in the spiritual dimension with your sense of purpose, your values. And that has to constantly be reignited and refed so that you are on, you're on purpose. You clearly have an understanding of why you're born, why you're here, and what you must do to make sure that you complete that mission and part of that will be to honor recovery.
so the last part I want to touch on in uh, in this episode is is a me- the the piece of mental toughness that you describe as this 16 second reset. I'd like for you to to unpack that a little bit for us. Yeah, so um I'm I'm a person who's always looking at things a little bit through a different lens. Um and, you know, tennis had always been, no one had ever looked at the between point time in tennis as being anything but just down wasted time. But I started to um, look at and really put the between point time under a microscope. And this was in the 70s. Um, and uh, I looked at what the between point time looked like with the very best players in the world who were considered the mentally toughest compared to who the worst competitors were who had the biggest problems. And there was dramatic differences. Um, we found that almost all of the top men and women followed very precise routines between points and uh, were very, very precise in their management of this period of recovery, which would last. The reason it's called the 16 second reset was that Steffi Graf at that time took the shortest amount of time. We players are allowed, depending on the tournament, between 20 and 25 seconds. She took only 16, but anyone who took less than 16 almost always became compromise in their ability to compete in their mental toughness. So um, I built a, a training system called the 16 second cure. And it was probably to date, it's probably one of the most widely viewed um, videos in the history of tennis. And it's probably helped because people now have a way of training their mind and their bodies to support competitive success in a way they never thought of before. So this little micro burst of recovery is a big opportunity to reset, to recalibrate, to go through a routine that actually gets you 100% ready to perform to your best. Then we did it in doubles. And ironically, I just, 33 years later, I've been asked to redo that with modern players. And we just completed the filming. It should be out and it will be, it's gonna be free to anyone, but it should be out um, in about another 30 days. But it's uh, it's the 16 second cure 2.0. And it's, we've learned a lot since then, but most of those lessons that uh, I learned um, in the early years because we used real players and real data to build the, the model, um, it's really quite appropriate even for today. But it becomes a metaphor for if you have a 10 minute break at the office, how can you get the most out of that 10 minute break? You go up and down the stairs in the, in the, you know, in the stairway, you hydrate, you um, take some nutrition that's going to stabilize blood glucose so it's not a spike in your blood glucose. There's go outside and be outside in nature, go into someone's office that makes you laugh to reset before rather than just grinding away hour after hour because you've been told that this is a high performance culture, nobody wastes any time. The notion that 
brakes are for wimps is a huge miscalculation. And the human system is oscillatory. If you want to reach your best, you got to oscillate, baby. That's the truth. Well, this has been just a fascinating conversation. I think uh, there's going to be a ton of that people are going to be able to take from this. Uh, what would you like people to have as a takeaway for where they can get more information about what you and your institute are doing? Uh, are there is there an upcoming book that that you've written that you want to, to highlight as we kind of wrap things up? Yeah. So uh, yeah, I've just completed another book. It's called Wise Decisions, um, and it's a science-based approach to making better choices. So a lot of the work we did, we tracked the choices people make, even very insignificant ones, and the impact that that might have on how the on the trajectory of their life. And we really wanted to put decision making under a microscope. My co-author is Dr. Sheila Olson. She has her PhD in behavioral genetics. She's a brilliant woman. And we wanted to try to really make something really, a real contribution in helping people understand how precious this decision-making process is and how do we improve it for ourselves, for our employees, and for our children, for anyone who's in a position where they make even small, but oftentimes large decisions that um, are really, really critical in terms of where we end up and others end up in life. So that'll be out. Uh, the publication date is December 8th. It'll be in the stores December 8th. Um, but you can reach me on, I'm on LinkedIn and I have most of the, all my work and podcasts are on LinkedIn. Um, and uh, my website is Jim Dash Lair L O E H R L O E H R dot com, and you can also I have a lot of the materials and things. Uh, this will be my 18th book, and I write not for any other reason than to just try to share what I've learned. I've been very lucky to be around really brilliant people. I love science and I love to learn, and when I learn something that I think might be beneficial to others. I um, I try to put it in writing so it's it's available, and I just hope somehow the work that I've done has uh, has contributed to better lives. And I know I stand on the shoulders of a lot of great people, a lot of great researchers that have really helped me to understand how the world works and to do a better job. Well, we appreciate the contribution you do make. We've, uh, we, I've read many of your books myself, and I actually have some of my teams in the organization reading uh, through some of your books as well right now. So we know that it works. We know that it, it makes a difference when we are paying attention, attention to the things that you've talked about in, in this episode. So, uh, Dr. Lair, we really appreciate you being a, a guest uh, on our episode, and uh, we'll make sure that we put a link to your LinkedIn profile and where they can purchase your books as well uh, on uh, on this uh, uh, on this podcast episode so we really do appreciate you being a part of it appreciate uh, having me on your show thank you very much thanks for listening to learn more visit fcpservices.com until next time remember people drive growth